When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. Today's episode, uh, Ted and Stuart finish up their microbiology discussion. We'll get right into the content, but first, some examples from our all-audio QBank Step 1 version powered by Exam Circle. Click the link in the show notes and go download the Inside the Boards app. It's a beta version, but it provides more opportunities for you to study on the go with all of our podcasts and, of course, subscriptions to our all-audio QBank. If you're in dedicated prep time, there's about 500 questions right now within the Step 1 version. Why not get a subscription and boost some of your learning on the go with digestible, audio-optimized questions to help you achieve the target score that you want to get on your USMLE Step 1. Just saying. Just saying. All right, here we go. A 13-year-old boy is seen in clinic with his mother. They recently moved to the United States from a refugee camp. His mother is unsure which vaccinations he received, but remembers as a child he was ill with a fever and rash that covered his face and body. His mother states the boy has been acting strange recently with an unsteady gait and a seizure a couple of days ago. He was previously a good student, but recently his teachers report him having fits of anger and aggression. Physical exam shows a lethargic boy with an ataxic gait and hyperreflexia in the lower extremities bilaterally. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? Is it A, mumps, virus, aseptic meningitis, B, rabies, C, subacute sclerosing panencephalitis, or is it D, rift valley fever? The correct answer is C, subacute sclerosing panencephalitis. This boy likely has subacute sclerosing panencephalitis, a long-term complication of measles. Measles is caused by the rubiola virus and causes cough, coplic spots, conjunctivitis, and coryza in susceptible patients. Patients typically develop a maculopapular rash that starts on the head and spreads downward a few days later. Subacute sclerosing panencephalitis is a chronic encephalitis that occurs around 10 years after a patient is infected with the measles virus. It causes demyelination of the central nervous system. 
Neurologic symptoms develop over time, including changes in behavior related to school and personality. Eventually, patients become lethargic and develop seizures, myoclonus, dementia, and coma. And the board's insider tip for this one is, subacute sclerosing panencephalitis is a chronic encephalitis that generally occurs 10 years after initial infection with measles virus. It causes behavior changes, lethargy, seizures, dementia, coma, and eventually may lead to death. All right, and let's do one more example. Here's a bit of a shorter one. A 40-year-old boy presents with difficulty feeding, lethargy, and generalized convulsions. He was delivered vaginally at 38 weeks following an uneventful pregnancy. Vital signs are within normal limits. He is at the 7th percentile for height, 6th percentile for weight, and 93rd percentile for head circumference. Physical exam shows skin purpura, posterior uveitis on ocular exam, and poor hearing. Cranial ultrasonography shows ventricular dilatation with diffuse intracranial calcifications. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? Is it A, congenital cytomegalovirus, B, congenital toxoplasmosis, C, congenital rubella, or is it D, congenital syphilis? The correct answer is B, congenital toxoplasmosis. This newborn's presentation is most consistent with congenital toxoplasmosis, which commonly presents with diffuse intracranial calcifications, chorioretinitis, sensory neural hearing loss, and signs of hydrocephalus. Now, back to Ted and Stuart's discussion, picking up where they left off in the last episode. So getting to the interrogatory here, which of the following is the patient's most likely diagnosis? So the vignette is a seven-month-old girl who's brought in by her parents for shaking. She's been fussy with high fevers to 104 degrees Fahrenheit for the past two days. Today, the patient had a brief episode of shaking and unresponsiveness lasting one minute. However, about 10 minutes later, she appeared normal. Parents endorse normal feeding and deny any vomiting or diarrhea. The patient is otherwise previously healthy and up-to-date with her immunizations. Her birth history is unremarkable, and she's been meeting appropriate milestones. She has no allergies. On examination, she is febrile to 103 degrees Fahrenheit with a blood pressure of 106 over 60, heart rate of 130 beats per minute, and respiratory rate of 26 per minute with 100% oxygen saturation. The patient is fussy. The anterior fontanelle is flat. Her cardiopulmonary, abdominal, and neurologic exams reveal no abnormalities. Acetaminophen is prescribed, and the parents given strict return precautions. On the next day, the parents follow up with the patient's pediatrician. The patient's fever has resolved, and now she has a faint rash over her body. On exam, a blanching, erythematous macular rash across her neck and trunk is appreciated. Which of the following is the patient's most likely diagnosis? Is it A, rubiola, B, rubella, C, erythema infectiosum, or D, roseola infantum? So, Stuart, do you want to kind of take us through the vignette and give us a, a brief summary of what you heard? 
Yeah. So first off, we have a baby that's presenting because of shaking and a fever. Classically, this is going to be very scary. However, not rare in the pediatric population. Uh, this is called a febrile seizure. Classically, when you see a febrile seizure, uh, that should be a diagnosis of exclusion. So you should do a workup. But when all of that is negative, you may send the patient home with good precautions. Now, that's exactly kind of what happened with this patient. And then they went to see their pediatrician with no longer having a fever, but now they have a rash. And the question is, which of these things do they have? And then we've been evilly, I would say, um, given the options of rubiola, rubella, Fifth's disease, or roseola, uh, which I think makes this particularly difficult. So this kind of rash after the fever and the febrile seizure um, kind of makes me, you know, yeah, it, it, it's generalized enough. There's not anything else going on. So a couple of these other things, uh, rubiola is also measles. Uh, which the patient was vaccinated. You think of rubella. We, we could talk a little bit about that rash being a little bit different, uh, but it kind of goes on the face and then spreads downward, uh, has some lymphadenopathy, and you might see spots on the palate. And then erythema infectiosum or fist disease from parvovirus, uh, and that typically stays in the, in the head and neck region. So you kind of have to know your rash distribution here to land on roseola in, in phantom, which is from uh, herpes virus HHV6. <laughs> That's not the easiest for me. Yeah, there, you know, there's kind of a classic presentation with when you get roseola, and, and that is a child who gets a pretty high fever. And in, in the case here, it led to a febrile seizure. And in children, especially the younger ones, often end up getting more of a workup because of the height of the fever that you can see before the characteristic rash comes on. So children like this may end up getting chest x-rays or urine samples taken or even blood culture, CBCs and blood cultures drawn. But the characteristic of roseola is, is pretty high fever. And then as the fever defervesces, or basically right when the fever resolves, they get this characteristic faint rash that's that's blanching, erythematous macular, kind of over um, the trunk and neck area typically, but it can be elsewhere. So that's kind of a, a classic description. You know, getting back to this rubiola or measles option, it, it does tell us that the that she's up to date on her immunizations. However, I think that needs to be in our differential because she's seven months old and wouldn't get an MMR vaccine until the 12-month well-child visit. So she's up to date on immunizations but hasn't gotten her measles vaccine yet. And with what we're seeing gotcha. yeah, and with what we're seeing out there with measles kind of making a big comeback needs to be in the differential. Um, however, with measles, we think of the three C's of Coryza, which is pharyngitis, conjunctivitis, and cough. And, and we're not hearing any of that in her case. She's got fever and then a rash after the fever. So 
Um, she doesn't have symptoms consistent with measles, but it's certainly worth considering. Yet again, you need to know your vaccine schedule to help with that answer. Because I ruled it out simply based on she's up to date on her vaccinations. And that is not helpful here. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, typically on the USMLE, they won't give you vaccine schedules. And, you know, I don't know that you'd need to know it in detail, but knowing kind of when the, the big ones start being given can be helpful. It didn't nail a diagnosis for us, but it, it kept one of the choices in our differential. Exactly. And, and then the, the reality is, is the presentation is a little bit different mm -hmm. uh, with the pharyngitis symptoms, the conjunctivitis, you know, we would be looking a little bit different uh, in this case, this patient has really just had a fever and <laughs> then they got a rash, which is just kind of would be difficult to, to go toward measles with that, with just that information. Other things that can be fever and a rash, maybe uh, that's not one of our answer choices would be like scarlet fever. And you think of like the, the pharyngitis uh, and then like a mobiliform rash. Mm -hmm. And then rubella... Again, with the MMR, they would not be vaccinated for. I, I think part of this rubella rash is it's like a erythematous rash that starts on the face and then moves down. It's itchy, but then they also have spots. It would be very difficult. It could be difficult if it was between rubella and measles to, to pick between the two. And then fist disease or uh, erythema infectiosum. That's classic for like parvovirus. Those patients actually look really well. Yep. They just have a, a rash. And then if they do have a problem, so say they have something like a sickle cell, they're more prone to have, develop like an aplastic crisis where all their blood cells are dying and typically have to take extreme precautions with those patients. Um, that can be really a really bad consequence of parvo. Right. And with fifth disease, it's a very characteristic rash where that, I mean, it gets called slap cheek rash for a reason. It looks bright red on the cheeks. USMLE has a tendency to like to show photos of, of an infant or child with bright red cheeks and, and base questions off of that, but it's pretty characteristic looking. Yeah. In general, like if you do get a, a picture, you're, it's kind of, it's, it's nice because trying to, sometimes the descriptions, unless you've done a derm selective or something can be, they kind of all blend together, right? Yeah. And I think even in preparing for the USMLE, it's, there's a list of, you know, 18 or 20 roughly terms that are used over and over again in dermatology. And it's probably a good idea to familiarize yourself with those terms and, and find rashes that look like it. So you can actually picture those in your mind as, as you're reading it. Um, Cause these rashes on the on questions do get described over and over again. Exactly. And I, I think that is a, a really useful tip too for our listeners. If you take the time with those kind of, you know, they, those buzzwords, they're not so much buzzwords because it's actually how they describe them, but they really can't describe them other ways. And sometimes that's why they show the picture as well. Um, and being able to describe that rash will be helpful for your, uh, for your test if you were to get a photo like that. All right. Well, I think we've done a pretty good job with these uh, couple bugs. We have more to come with the, the step one smarter or st step one study smarter series. So 
keep tuning in as we continue bringing you all this content tri-weekly basis. Jeez, I don't know when we're going to get any rest. What can I say? I guess I'm kind of a slave driver. (laughs) Um, All right. Don't forget about our Listen, Learn, Live contest. You can go to bit.ly slash paymyusmle to learn uh, more about it and to get the details on how you could get your USMLE or Comlex registration fee paid for. And if you like what we do on the Study Smarter podcast, please make sure to hit subscribe um, as you listen. You know, of course, so long as you're not driving. Leave us a review and a rating. It helps us in our rankings on iTunes. Currently, the Study Smarter podcast has been sitting around number five in the medicine subcategory. But with your help, I think we can get to number one. We offer it to you for free. So we'd appreciate if you would use a moment of your free time to help us out. So thank you, as always, for listening to the Inside the Boards Study Smarter podcast. 